Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ah, the Frio team song. We didn't hear that one after the game on the weekend when they lost by 70 points to the GWS Giants. Paul Hazelby is a Dockers legend. Also, one half of the run home with Hayes and Mardo that is on weekdays at 3 p.m. on SEN. Hayes, welcome. Good day, Duff. Yeah, we haven't heard it for three weeks now, the Dockers song. Yeah, no, um, I think we sort of thought they were okay against Richmond, but beaten. They were not okay on the weekend against GWS. 70 point losers got worse as the game went on. Um, where does it leave them? It's a hard one to dissect because whenever you don't get effort from your team for four quarters, you know, you can look at all the different specifics in the game, but it comes down to one thing. The effort wasn't there. At times, they just walked through, particularly from clearance. The, the 21 marks inside their forward 50 that they gave up, the Fremantle Dockers, you don't see that too often. And look, I'd have to say that, you know, under Justin Longley, we haven't seen too much of this. He's normally been a coach that you get behind, but then you show some fight and you come back into the contest. But it now is a concern for, what, fourth or maybe fifth time this year they've been smacked in contested possessions, smacked in also clearances, which puts them on the back foot. But I do wonder, and they need to come up with different ways to win games of footy because you hear them talk about field position a lot. And I go back to a couple of games on the weekend. Geelong lost clearance, lost contested possession by a lot against Port Adelaide, the best team in the comp right now, but we're still in the game for a long period of time. And Sydney were the other one. So when it doesn't go your way, can you come up with another system that actually finds the ball inside your front half? And often that's through ball movement. So I think Fremantle are struggling a bit with their ball movement. So you couple that together with losing clearance and contested possession, you become double vulnerable. Yeah, I, did, I think it did. As far as ball movement goes, I reckon it didn't help on the weekend that their best kick, which is Hayden Young, turned the footy mm. over about three or four times for no good reason. We saw Sam Sturt go to handball to Michael Walters on the way forward and airmailed him, missed him by metres, yep. uh, and that got intercepted, went back, went back down the other end. You're right, their team defence was off, and that led to all those marks inside attacking 50 for GWS. The first quarter's haze. They've lost 16 of 17. How do you fix that? It's a mindset thing. And look, last week against Richmond, they actually started really well. So they do have patches in games, but then their other problem comes to the fore when they do dominate, like they did in that game. They don't put it on the scoreboard, so you don't get maybe a true reflection, but you can't hide from the fact. And look, we've been watching the cricket. And you've been watching Basball. We're all admiring Basball. What is Basball? It's a mindset that we're going to take control of this game. When you have Joe Root coming in and playing a reverse sweep off the first ball that he faces, you see the four that was hit, the first ball of the Ashes, it just tells you that we're going to take the game on. We're going to take it away from you. I wonder if Freeman will do that. But I know they don't. I think they have a bit of a look. They play a safe style early, have a bit of a look, and then they're very good at getting back in the contest. And there was a message on the board at three-quarter time, I think, against Richmond from Justin Lomuyor, win the game. 
And that's the way they play when they're behind. They take more risk. They're a bit more aggressive with things. So I think they could take that baseball mindset into the way that they start the game. Let's win the first quarter. Let's go for it. Be aggressive. And that's a number of things. It's aggressive at the stoppage. It's aggressive with your ball movement from the back half. And talking about being aggressive at the stoppage, that was the thing that they spoke about that got them back into this season, that they were on the move, they were anticipating. Rather than just being a team that stands and tries to man your player, they were actually taking the first move and trying to take that away from their opponents. The last two weeks it hasn't worked, but I reckon with Sean Darcy coming back in the mix this week, they'll be looking to have that same focus. But use Basball maybe this week as an inspiration to try and be aggressive from the get-go. Be proactive, not reactive. Yeah. Yep, Try and win the game in the first quarter. Put five goals on a team. And then you don't have to worry about trying to come back into the contest. Because if you look under Justin Longley, because they have been behind, they're actually a really good chasing team. And it reminds you maybe of a horse too that you know loves to come from the back. They need something in front of them to run past. It's an interesting point. Their midfield looks slow, and they look particularly slow if Nathan Fife and Jaeger O'Meara were both in there. How do they work that? We know that both of them can go forward a little bit, can have a little bit of impact forward. Um, Fife took a great mark on the weekend, kicked a goal, but apart from that, not much else. And they struggled to defend ball movement when those two were running through the middle. So, so what do they do about that? How do they manage that? Yeah, but I think when they were both in there the last four weeks, they were good. Like Fife was playing pretty well. He was coming back in the side. O'Meara was outstanding. He goes out last week, so we can't judge the two of them together. And like I said at the top, it's very difficult to to look at the specifics of a game when you don't get that effort from 18 players for four quarters. Like you can look at that one element of it, but Fife needs to lift himself. He has played the last two games and he hasn't been at that level that we thought he was building towards prior to um, coming or after coming back into the side and, and being the sub. I worry if he's if he's lost too much speed to have real impact on games, Hayes. Mm. And I, I, I wonder how you manage that. Like, he did take a great contested mark, and so he still offers that. But does he offer that enough to be a real impact player at Freo? And, and it worries me. I, I would have thought he would have been moving better by now. Yeah, and he's not doing enough as a forward. And you look at maybe Trent Cotchin at the moment, moved out of the midfield. Sometimes we try and shuffle them around because you're trying to introduce younger players, Johnson, Erasmus, into those positions. But it doesn't help the individual. And, you know, you want your best players playing in their best positions. And Nathan Fife's best position is as a Ruck Rover centre midfield type that you just wonder whether they, they bite the bullet and try and work on trying to find somebody else in the front half that can cover that and get him back to his ball-winning best because if he's winning the ball, then all of a sudden he's not as vulnerable back the other way. But if they're all losing the ball, then he looks really slow back the other way. It didn't help him on the weekend. Matt Johnson's been really good. He didn't have a great game. Mm. Daydreamed his way over the mark, gave away a 50-metre penalty, which turned what would have been a three-goal-to-zip game at quarter time into a four-goal-to-zip game at quarter time. So he was off, ended up being subbed out with a with a bad corky. And then you've got Will Brody. Where, where do you sit on him? Like, Does he fit into that mid- midfield mix? Because you've talked about speed and lack of it. And unfortunately for him, he was the scapegoat for the early part of the season. And as soon as he went out, they actually started to improve and win. Yeah, and I wonder whether through no fault of his own, I'm not sure whether he does fit mm. anymore because you've got – we've already got question marks over the speed and run of Nat Fife and Jager O'Meara together – 
you put Will in there as another one, you know, who gets squeezed out? How does that affect the team balance? Yeah, it's an interesting. Only two weeks ago, we were, t- we were talking about them beating Melbourne at the MCG and being in really good form. So you've got to be careful you don't throw baby out with bathwater. Mm. Now, let's clarify what you were talking about with Sean Darcy because what has become clear over the past couple of weeks is just how important he is to this team. Absolutely. They have missed him. I said this last week. I'm not in favour of trading Sean Darcy, but I'm also not in favour of giving him an absolute monster of a contract that's going to, you know, maybe tie up a lot of the finances for Fremantle. Like, and you're talking some clubs will come for him for a million dollars five or six years, and to have those two players tied up, I don't think it's the right way to go for Fremantle. Yes, they didn't look great without him, but that is a cop-out, I believe, for that midfield group. Like, they need to find a way to do it without Sean Darcy. And if you always just want it on a platter as a midfield, you're not going to make it towards the premiership success, which they all crave down there. And, look, Jackson's gone in there. He hasn't been the best in the actual hit-out component of it, but around the ground, I think he gives them something different. But he's gone in there, which has left them vulnerable in the front half. Now, if you had another type, and I'm not saying it will be Aaron Norton, but if there was another type like that in the front half and Jackson in the ruck, I think all of a sudden that solves a few of your problems. But Sean Darcy, definitely 100%, they have missed him because it does give direction to the midfielders. They know where to go because eight times out of ten, he's going to put it to their advantage. But they need to learn to do it without out, Sean Darcy. Is Alex Pierce the right man for captains? Copped a bit of flack after what happened at the weekend and also because of their slow starts. Do they need someone who's a bit more outward, if you like, a bit more, um, uh, you know... Aggressive, in your face, demanding. Bubbly, you could ask yeah, for that. Yeah. But, look, he wasn't my selection. I went for Andrew Brayshaw because I'm an attacking type of coach and player that I go for the one that can actually influence the result. When the game's on the line, can somebody win a big contested possession, push hard forward, like a Bontempelli did on the weekend? He was sensational. So, uh, But having said that, it's come from Kane Corns, and the captain of Port Adelaide right now is out of form, out of the team, and they sit atop the ladder. So I don't think... It matters that much. You should have a whole leadership group. You've still got Nathan Fife there that should be leading. You've got Sarong and Brayshaw who want to be leaders, that want to be the next captain of that football club. He needs to improve. He's had a couple of uh, down days, but I don't think this is all about the captaincy and leadership style with that performance. They just weren't on as a whole group. Liam Henry, I think probably the best game I've seen him play mm. at AFL level. He had 17 disposals. He faded in the last quarter. You know, at three-quarter time, I'm, I was thinking, he's going to have 25 here. He's going to gain 500 metres. He's going to take the ball back through the corridor. This is going to be a real breakout game for him. And then it was a bit disappointing in the last quarter. And and GWS's wingmen, who were Josh Kelly and, yep. and Callahan, had really big last quarters. So the stats don't look great. But there was something there on the weekend that we haven't seen before. Do you have greater hope now for Liam Henry maybe being an AFL player and being a part of this Fremantle growth? I do, and I saw it at Peel. Like, he put together a really good block. Three to four weeks there, and he was rewarded for his form last week. He didn't get heaps of the ball, but he didn't look out of place. And I think he's learning a bit more about what he needs to do. The defensive side has to be there, but you've also got to make the most of your disposal. I think at times he gave the ball up too easily and turned it over, and he improved that on the weekend. Interesting dynamic this weekend, what they do with the wing position, because we know James Aish is likely to come back in. I think Longmuir will go back towards him. 
Maybe Erasmus on the other side needs a bit of a rest, so he gets a bit of a run at it. But either way, I think it's a positive for Fremantle that he's in the team, he gets confident, Justin gets confident in him, and he becomes a good player for the Fremantle Dockers. Or if he does play and decide that he wants to go elsewhere because he's out of contract at the end of this year, then all of a sudden that helps with the price that the Fremantle Dockers may receive. And this is in a year where they don't have their first pick. And the lower the Dockers finish, the worse it looks for that deal with Luke Jackson last year. Because right now, I think it's pick six they're giving up to Melbourne. So they need to start to win. But yeah, I think there's some promising signs there um, from Liam Henry. So... How many changes would you make this week? We've heard the word mulligan used a bit by different... Um, I think Ross Lyon said he was given the Saints mm. a mulligan a couple of weeks ago. Someone else, I think, at the Crows got a mulligan from a couple of the critics. Do you give them a mulligan and you say, OK, let's make two to three changes? You don't want to make five or six because this is a must-win game. Yeah. Five or six, it's hard to win if you make that many changes. So what would you do at selection? I think you'd be looking at how they turn it around last time. So going back to that, who do we need to get back in those positions that were playing? So Sean Darcy's the big one. If he he is fit, he comes straight back in. One of the small forwards probably comes out. Does a Bailey Banfield maybe go to the sub position? You reshuffle a little bit. And Erasmus is probably the other one that's a little bit vulnerable. But you know, Switkowski, he needs to lift. I reckon, you know, for a leader of that team that's been so strong with his work rate, in recent times where he is that defensive four that plays well every single week. I think he's been a bit down. Offensively, he hasn't been the same player as well. He's not on the chopping block yet, but I think um, you know, Longmuir should be having a few words to some of those more senior players. Walters was poor. Nathan Fife was poor. Alex Pierce needs to improve and get more of the ball as well and be involved a little bit more. So there's a few discussions to be had, but I'd be making three changes. One out of the forward line and Darcy back in and maybe Erasmus, not Erasmus, um, O'Driscoll, the other one that uh, loses his position after some poor weeks. Okay. Um, Sebet Quek kicked six on the weekend for Peel against Perth, and he was kind of half knocking on the door before that anyway. Is he a chance to play? Would you like to see him in the team at some point over the back half of the season? I think if Darcy doesn't play, I think it's a good time to bring him in because they've shown that just with the two young forwards, it hasn't been enough. You've had Amos down there in good form, but Josh Tracy is another one that needs to continue to improve. And when the ball wasn't coming in too often, you do feel a bit for those players. But I think it has been proven when they were winning, the three key forwards is the way to go. So if Jackson is the ruck, then it makes sense to bring in Kuek. But I think what we're going to see is Darcy back in. So I want to see him dominate again. I want to kick six against a good side. It was against Perth on the weekend. And I just think key forwards in the waffle should be kicking bags of five and six if they're going to be good enough to stay in the league team, not just get in there. And you go back to Josh Tracy, he's up and down like a yo-yo. I didn't think he was doing enough at Waffle when he was playing as a key forward either. Sam Sturt kicks two goals from nine disposals. Where's he at? He's probably just ahead of Bailey Banfield at the moment over the last two weeks. So those two probably competing for that position. The difference with him, he's a bit like Joy Amos. When he gets opportunity... He hits scoreboard. He doesn't need many possessions to do it. He's got to improve the possession rate. From what I saw from his start of the year compared to last year, the pennies dropped on the defensive side with him. He's actually working a lot harder to win the ball back, but he's going to have to be that sort of player that continues to take his chance. And I get the feeling when he doesn't in front of goal and he, he delivers nine possessions, seven possessions, he's going to be vulnerable to lose his spot in the team. Yeah, he missed. He actually sort of missed a couple he could have kicked 
early in the game and then he was very good later mm. and, and, and quite clinical and, and, and got involved. So you're right. I think at his best he is a finisher and uh, and and that does help them. Can they play finals now? It's a tough run home and what we've seen over the last fortnight isn't encouraging. No, it's very difficult to say that you're going to play finals after losses to Richmond and also the Giants. And what they've done in the process is they've let those two teams come back, back into, into it. Yep. So, look, Essendon's probably a team that, you know, if Fremantle were to try and take a spot from one of those top eight sides, it, it could be them. So they need to beat them. A lot needs to go right from here. There's some winnable games there, but I guess you they're the hardest team to pick. You cannot trust this side. I think my tips on them this year, I reckon I'd have them right two or three times because yep. they've lost to the teams you think they're going to beat. They've beaten the teams you probably don't think they're going to beat. And for that reason, I find it very difficult for them to uh, to get there from this position. So the next month is Essendon, Bulldogs, Carlton, Collingwood. How many yep. of them do you need them to win for them to still be in the race after that month? Need to win the two at home and steal one of those other ones against Collingwood or the Western Bulldogs. So three out of four. Yeah. So basically after they got themselves back into the mix, they've got themselves out of the mix yep. again. Very quickly. All right. Um, do they beat the Bombers? I think they do. I'm still a bit unsure about the Bombers. If you look at some of their stats, they're giving up a lot of inside 50s. And I think if Fremantle don't come to play this week, then... It's, it's pretty much season over and another disappointing season for the Dockers. Yeah, no, you'd want to see, you'd expect to see a very, very strong response off mm, the back of that. Expected it last week on the back of the Richmond non-performance, particularly early. Yep. Um, who's the team to beat, Hayes? Port Adelaide. I'm, I'm really starting to like them. I yeah. think Collingwood, from the last four weeks, I know they've had some easier games and sometimes you don't get a good look at them, but they weren't that good impressive against uh, North Melbourne. Then they came here. I didn't think they were that good against uh, West Coast West Eagles. Coast Eagles yeah. And then they, they copped the flogging. They should have lost that by 10 against Melbourne. I think Port Adelaide, I'm loving what they're doing. Their midfield mix at the moment is just spectacular. They've got the old boys on the outside and then they've got the two going through the midfield with a three with Horn Francis. There's a lot to like there. I love what Finlayson... He's doing, and you talk about rucks. Like, Finlayson goes in there. It's a different mix. They know they're not going to win many of the taps, but they found a way to util- to make that position with him in the ruck a strength because he's drifting forward and impacting the scoreboard so often. He's got 28 goals now. Yeah, no, he's a fascinating player. It's, you know, I the, the worst thing I ever think back on is that trade that Fremantle did for Jesse Hogan because but for that trade, if Lockie Neal had left and they'd have just taken the draft picks... Yep. Ben King and Connor Rosie would be playing for Fremantle. Yeah, that'd be a pretty handy team with those. With those, yeah. Teams. Is that right, Connor? We could have picked. We could have picked one of them, not both of them. No, no, both of them. So basically, when Lockie Neal left, Fremantle had pick six. Yep. Uh, they would have gotten pick five from Brisbane for Lockie Neal. They probably would have got another pick inside twenty for Lockie Neal, because I think the demand they set for Lockie Neal was two first-rounders. Yep. So pick five plus another one inside 20 plus Ben King was pick six. Yep. And it was pretty clear in that draft who was who and where they sat in the overall pecking order. Now, as it turns out, Zach Butters has probably turned out to be almost the best player in the draft. But at the time, everyone was pretty clear. So, yeah. Because they brought in um, Rory Lobb too at the same time. So, so might, some of that draft capital was used to get him as well. They still might have been able to get him because I think Rory Lobb was something like – he was a pick somewhere in the teens. Mm. You might have been able to swing that and, yeah. and, and still get the, the short-term forward plus the long-term forward. So yeah. It's a great lesson. If you've got a pick inside the top ten, I'm nearly at the point – 
when I'm thinking about trading out players, if you can get a, a pick inside the top 10 for somebody that's 28, you've got to take them. Look at Chad Wingard. Yeah. So Wingard left and, and they got that pick, Port Adelaide, that took um, Rose E. And, and three years on, they're in front. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, look forward to listening to you with Marto on the run home at 3 p.m. this afternoon. Going to be a big show. And hopefully Fremantle get up and get a win against the Bombers this weekend. Paul Hazelby, Fremantle great. Uh, and also, as I mentioned, one half of the run home with Hayes and Marto weekdays on 3 p.m. And SENWA will be back after the break.